0: How do I, for me, in my own development, self-care, my own creative wellness, my own well-being as a person, get back around to the, the wellspring source of the creative energy of me embodying and embracing myself as an artist?
1: Hello, I'm Lee Harris and for the past several years, I've been running a course called Empaths and Narcissists, a power dynamic and how to recover from it. It's a video course designed to support you to recover from any kind of relationship where you've given your power away. The course has now helped thousands of people over the years to clarify their situation, change direction, rebuild themselves and regain their power, confidence and their true identity. It's all delivered via videos, audio, and worksheets that can help you with the integration and the learning. And it's all available to you when you register. So you can go at your own pace and revisit any of the material at any time because you'll have lifetime access. If it feels resonant to you, you can click the link below. I wish you love and luck with your recovery journey. Hello, welcome to Impact the World. And my guest today is Kamika King. I share at the beginning of this show with Kamika Present, where I first saw her and how she impacted me. In short, Kamika is a music artist, but also has been a music therapist in both traditional and clinical settings, and has been pioneering her own program called Musically Me Unlimited over recent years. And so we touch on the healing power of music and why it's so important in our lives, how Kamika went from being a classically trained vocalist to combining her passion for psychology and wellness and becoming a music therapist. And we also talk about the importance of our own personal creative wellness. If you are a facilitator or someone whose work or perhaps your role in life involves you helping guide or steer or support others, at what point does your own creative wellness tap you on the shoulder and say to you, I need a little bit of your time and attention too? So it's a really broad conversation. Kamika is one of those guests for whom I created this show. She really embodies to me the spirit of helping make a difference in the world and in people's lives and I just loved this conversation. So you can learn more about Kamika at kamikaking.com and we will put links to her work in the show notes or if you're watching on YouTube check out the first pinned comment where we will put all the links to her work and if you do enjoy Impact the world then it really helps us out if you subscribe on YouTube to the channel or you leave a rating or a review wherever it is that you're listening. It helps us reach more people and we're a self-funded show with a mission to hopefully spread some positivity, some love and some transformation into the world through these conversations. So thanks for being here and thanks for your support with those actions. For now, I'll hand you over to Kamika King. Mika, thank you so much for being with us today. I know I've been wanting to get you on the show for quite a while, so thank you for being here.
0: Glad to be here.
1: Well, I thought maybe we would start by me sharing how I first came across you and your work. It was the DIY Musicians Conference in Austin, Texas, August 2019. And I had gone there because I was just about to embark on, you know, putting my own music out into the world in a, in a bigger way than I had been. And so like all of us, we were sat there learning and going to various different sessions. And there was this session where your song was one of many chosen that were submitted to be highlighted and explored from the stage. And the song is Live, Love, Dream, which... <laughs> I shared with you before we got started. As soon as I heard it, there are very few songs that you hear that you feel are like a classic that you've heard all your life. And that was one of those songs. And it was both the power of your song and the lyrics and how inspiring, uplifting and soothing the song was. But then it was your presence because they had you up on the stage and you were you were answering questions about the song and your work and how you know, you've know you worked in music therapy as a music therapist. Now you are facilitating with your program, Musically Me Unlimited. But I I wrote down your name. I went to your Instagram. I followed you. I found the song. I played to the song a lot. I told Stephen, my husband, about you. I told a few people about you. And then here we are a few years later because I reached out to you to see if you would do the show. And For me, one of the things that as I have immersed myself more in your work in the last week or so as we're leading up to this conversation, there is a through line that I see with you, whether it's at your TED Talk, whether it's at a performance that you're giving at a local university, and the word is grace. Mm -hmm. You have that kind of grace that I see in someone's presence when they have a really deep connection to their faith. And that to me just exudes through you and it's what you transmit. So, I mean, there's so many things we're going to talk about, but I thought, let me start by asking you, where did you develop this deep connection to faith, spirit, whatever that is for you, whatever that name is, how long has that been a part of you? Because it exudes from you.
0: All my life, I really feel like, honestly, um, just growing up and my mom was one that really taught us about relationships with God. A lot of people might more so hang on to religion, but she always taught us whether we're in a church or not, it's really about our faith and and embracing other people. Like my mom's best friend was a Jewish lady and and even interculturally and, and different ethnicities and races and everything like that. So I, I feel like I was reared in a very like faith centered, and grounded in household, um, and one that just was about love everybody as they are, welcome and interact with everyone. And I think that from both a faith and a just mixing with and loving people perspective was a really formative foundation. And I think a a gifting for me, even from spirit as well, just that connection from young and then what I would call the blessing of having that nurtured uh, in the home as well.
1: Mm. Mm, beautiful, and you know, you 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 have a beautiful TED talk that you gave called "The Power of Song," mm-hmm. and because that was it was your song that impacted me first. Because all I heard in that auditorium with everyone else was your song coming through the speakers before we got to meet you, hear about you in that presentation. You share a story in your TED talk that you talk about the the lyric in the song the stars in the sky and and where that came from would you share that because that's really inspiring that that moment in your life that inspired the song
0: yeah yeah i i looked so i guess i'll go for, i'll go further further back i had just finished undergrad, I want to say. And I like to say I I had my own suite. It was really my parents' attic. (laughs) I had the whole floor to myself. But because it was an attic, there was a bay window, like a sky window that was literally a cutout in the uh, ceiling, a cutout in the ceiling that through the roof. And I walked up there one night and I looked out. And I'm very connected to nature, but I've even realized more recently that there's just something about the sky, the sunrise and the sunset that contains, like it's very nurturing and warm and, and I feel just very connected to. So that was actually the night sky and I looked up at it and it stopped me in my tracks. And in that moment, I was just in awe of nature and God's wonder, just painting the sky and that line just came to me in that moment that was like the stars that I'm looking up at. The stars in the sky remind me of why I live, I love, and I dream. And I went to the guitar that I had just freshly begun to learn at that point in time. I've been singing since I was two, but I picked up guitar maybe 12, 13 years ago now. So I went to it and with my lyrics and that song, just sort of uh, the beginnings of it poured out from there.
1: And yeah, you say you've been singing since you were two. Uh, I I read in your biography that you're a classically trained vocalist. So how, how early did you start classical singing training?
0: Yeah. So on and off, I want to say when I was like seven and then maybe nine, then 13. So the formal training was off and on until I got to high school. I was in the choir and then an audition choir from that. Got in the theater a little bit from there. But then I actually went on uh, my bachelor's that I have from Western Connecticut State University. I studied voice. Wow. So that was uh, four four years of uh, vocal development and training. And then the interesting thing, a lot of folks, uh, I met somebody recently that's like, you should be on radio. You have a radio voice. Well, I was. So my minor is in broadcast communication. And then what will eventually lead us to conversation and music therapy, I also minored in psychology. I was interested in cognitive function and understanding how the brain worked and what that meant for people and how we behave and why, you know, the the big why is (laughs) a common theme, understanding, my curiosity, all of those things. So uh, yeah, classical training uh, in, in music and specifically for voice was off and on, but then I actually got a bachelor's degree in it.
1: Wow. And so the music therapy, let's talk about that for a second, because I had heard of music therapy, but I didn't fully know. No one had ever really explained to me what it was. So I thought, perfect. Kamika, tell us, <laughs> what is uh, you know what is music therapy for those of us who don't really know, but may have heard of it?
0: Yeah. And it's in the formal sense, it's a clinical use of music-based intervention, uh, by a credentialed professional. So you actually need to have gotten at least a bachelor's specifically in music therapy. There's master's, PhD, and master's level, as well as your board certification, which you have to complete about 1,200 fieldwork hours in total to then sit the board exam. So it's the, that clinical use of music to work on a therapeutic goal. It could be uh, cognitive, uh, emotional, social, physical, It can look anything like going into a school and working with uh, kids on the autism spectrum, people that have autism or autistic folk, and uh, helping with certain social skills and cues that you embed into lyrics or the movements to a particular song that I've brought for that goal of helping with the social skills or movement. Uh, It can look like being in the cancer center where folks have just been impacted in their family by a cancer diagnosis. And that's more of that, what they call the psychosocial support. So helping folks adapt to the changes, cope with the changes, process the changes that can look like uh, discussing lyrics helping them to write a song, to get it out. <laughs> mm. uh, a number of things that way. It can look like helping somebody to walk or speak again uh, when it comes to the, the neurocognition elements and using music. So it is a vast field uh, that there's data evaluation, You're creating a treatment plan to work on your specific therapy goal. You're evaluating for the outcomes and tweaking as you go along. But then the fun part uh, is you get to use music. And for me, that's a passion and love in how I'm helping and assisting people or other music therapists as well. Fantastic. And
1: I'm curious because I I think... I think to all those times that we're in a school situation or a work situation where you're told, we're now going to do this training on X, Y, or Z. And I think a lot of people have a stigma that they're not musical or they can't sing, even though they might enjoy music. So if they are presented with, now we're going to do a music therapy session, what did you notice when you go to bring that work to a group of people and they're all a little different around how they feel about it or how open they are to it. Like, I'm, I'm curious what you noticed and was there, was it always the case that people's fear or hesitation would just drop away once the music began? What was that like?
0: Yeah, it depends on the setting. So I spent, I think about seven years working in oncology uh, as a music therapist. And in one instance of being in that setting, I went from room to room as folks were getting chemotherapy treatment as a part of the support services team to share with them of your support services team that there's a a dietitian, a social worker, a chaplain, you also have this music therapist. And for some folks, if they just loved music and were open enough or curious, they'd want to hear and for other folks, they may not really get why is there a musical person? Well, I'm a music therapist, but you know, why is there a musical person on my support care team when I'm getting cancer treatment? So I would have what feels like a split second to share with them what um, music therapy is and how it can support them to then allow them to decide if it's something they wanted to move forth with. In other spaces, and most times it was yes, sometimes it was not. But in other spaces, like I can think of uh, group space settings that I've been in in the community, it's the nuance of how you cultivate the space and what you're doing that eases folks into it to where they didn't even realize, oh, I gave some thoughts to Kamika that I was thinking about on how my day went and how I'm coping with things. And next thing I know, I wrote a song with her, how, what in the world? So it's the nuance of how you set up and that's a part of the process too. How are you setting up the session and the opportunity, uh, the experience or, or in the more clinical sense, we might call them intervention. How are you setting that up to make it as inclusive and as accessible as possible so that folks, whether they've been the person that enjoys singing but was told when they were young well, you can't carry a tune, you're not in the choir, we're going to mute your mic, all those things. This is a, a safe environment to re-explore musical exploration and those parts of the self. So um, the, I like to foster as much as possible a, a nurturing environment that welcomes exploration and supports people along the way so that they know it doesn't matter if you have a lot of musical experience or none at all my training says that I'm coming in to usher you into the experience. And then we take it from there.
1: Beautiful. And it's funny because I think of all the times that in my own work over the years, working for or with people, where creativity has been one of the areas I'm teaching or holding space for them around, man, the wounds that we have all gathered you know, over the years from childhood, like you can't draw you can't speak in front of a group like and how those things just lodge into us. So when I hear you explain this, you're, you're really addressing a whole other layer, which is not just bringing music in as a therapy for perhaps your cancer treatment, or your your current state of life, but just that all of us need often to be rehabilitated around our own connection to creativity. So in a way, you're a, a minister of music, but you're also a a, a healer for people around their own relationship to creativity, which is really powerful.
0: Yeah. And and it's interesting you use that word, word healer, because I, I'm not averse to it, but I know within the field, there's the art, the science, and I would say the third, the elements of intuition that go into it. But there's so many different schools of thought, philosophies and principles that there are some that's like, no, I'm not healer and I'm simply facilitator. I'm also a facilitator, but for me and my, what I will say spiritual journey, I understand um, in that connection to God and being conduit of God's love, of joy and liberation in general, that I personally don't shy away from that and understanding the elements that go into um, life and music and creativity and healing all as one, which I think is some of what has led me to utilize my knowledge and expertise in music therapy, but to have brought brought it into the community and sort of broken it out of the box that says it can only exist in a particular way so that it's freeing enough to allow me to be in how I show up and what I do. Um, and also just making it more accessible to folks that maybe would never come to a therapy session, but they will come to the class seminar or workshop by this lady who's an artist and happens to also be a music therapist. So I don't hide it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. proud about it. Um, but I think the blending sometimes too makes it more accessible and just the the container and the environment can certainly be healing to folks and facilitating that space through my, not only my training, but also paying homage to like my giftings, even from legacy and, and ancestry, I will say.
1: Absolutely. No, and it's a good point because it's funny. I use the term healing or healer with how, what I know that to be, which is a, a healer is perhaps the initiator or the lead facilitator of a person's healing. So you mm-hmm. go to a healer, not because they're going to do it for you, but because their art is holding space for the healing to happen through you. And they're going to be there to witness, to guide, to hold. However, that's my awareness, and I, I am and I think it's a healthy kickback. I've noticed a few social media comments lately. Um, whenever the word "healer is used, a lot of people are very quick to go, "Well, we all heal ourselves," and I'm like, "Ah." Uh, but they're right. But I also feel like we're in a fairly early stage of breaking down the old idea of what a healer is. So to me, I already kind of align with that. But I understand why certain people are needing to push back and redefine against when they hear that word, because so many of us were raised in the more guru or separatist culture around whether it was healers or religion. There was this separation Mm -hmm. idea that I think our generation and future generations, our job is to change that, break that down and uh, integrate all of it so that it all comes together at once again.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And yeah, when you put it like that, I'm like, Snap, snap, check the box. That's that's exactly we're on the same page about that. I appreciate that. But isn't it
1: interesting because we, you know, we do all have these words and these terms, and we all, you know, we all think of them slightly differently. It's like you know, holding. Oh yeah, that word means that to that person and their perception or their experience of it, or you know. So it's it's fascinating. But I love that you just kind of moved us to where I was going to go next. So you worked as a traditional music therapist and sometimes a clinical music therapist and you have since evolved from that work and the grounding of that work into creating musically me unlimited where you are artist facilitator and you are you're doing it in a slightly different way and and opening up the parameters of it so could you share with us a little bit what musically me unlimited is and how it came to be
0: yeah how it came to be and what it is. So Musically Me Unlimited and in the most general sense is a youth empowerment program really focused around self-empowerment. It's about teaching and sharing in life skills and coping skills. Um, the way it came about in 2017, my grandmother passed away at in her 90s, I believe she reached 91. And within two months, her remaining siblings also passed away. And that was an entire generation of of information that was now gone. And it had me searching. So I said, okay, can't rewind the past, can't go back and get that family history, those stories, whatever we do or don't know is pretty much set right now, as far as that is concerned. But I was in grad school at the time, pursuing my master's in music and music therapy, and uh, did some things in music entrepreneurship as well. And I was just trying to figure out where do I need to land in terms of of research? What am I going to pursue? And I bounced through so many different topics until after my granny passed and and what I just shared had occurred, I wound up uh, at a music therapy conference, and I wound up getting to connect with some of our elders in terms of Black folks in music therapy. And that struck something in me that I wanted to say where are the other aspects of my identity that I can preserve stories when the the a certain generation in terms of the familial sense is not available anymore and long story short of that that wound up uh, as a documentary that I made documenting four black women in music therapy that had at least a uh, 40 years experience at the time of being interviewed and I mean, Trailblazers, um, those who are not just the first Black woman to do X Y Z, but in the field like the first person to do a thing, uh, and that was fascinating for me. And, and one of the elders mentioned during the interview process, "You have an opportunity to take us as music therapists, take what we do into our community." Bookmarked that at the back of my mind, and that felt like a charge that I would need to act on at some point. Fast forward maybe about two more years, I wind up in an arts-based accelerator program where they said, hey, you were, you were nominated, you're on our radar, we'd love to meet with you. And one of the questions was, well, we're wanting to support social change-oriented musicians with implementing some type of project that they want to do in their community. whoa I have just the idea. (laughs) And that was like, how do I bring something to us? And this point in time was 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was also the time of like uh, Breonna Taylor and and the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and and George Floyd. And there was a, what I didn't realize until afterward, hindsight, this like collective grief I was feeling, this challenge around the the reminder, the harsh reality of like just because of the color of my skin, mm-hmm. someone can think a certain way of me without knowing me at all. Yeah. Um, uh, safety, danger, fear, um, perseverance, all the things. So I wound up writing a song about it, but but in 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 the process of that as well was the birth of Musically Me Unlimited, where I said, okay, I want to do something where I do a lot of work right now, either with adults or children, but what about the the middle? I was thinking high school, but it's wound up being a lot more so the middle school age, which developmentally is even more sort of formative and necessity and that make or break time. How can I utilize the principles in my practice as a music therapist to create programming that is community centered, that is designed, that is going to foster resilience? Because you can't break away. Uh, the fact that adversity is going to happen, but I, I mean, I wish I could, but those—that's that's a systemic thing. So, how can I bring something that can be a support that can allow them to explore music? Um, we we have different music therapy-like experiences as well, but also in terms of being able to be more steeped and connected in the community and an available resource. How can I approach this also as an artist? because again, as I mentioned before, not everybody, especially young folks are going to want to come to therapy camp <laughs> even if, even if it's a necessity but um, hey our, our local artist who's also a music therapist that's doing this like music and performance like thing and we'll be talking and learning and exploring and playing and all these different things it it was this really healthy intersection that, allowed, I saw that God still allowed the students that signed up had needs that I was also able to uniquely support because I am also a music therapist. Uh, But also it was able to be offered into the community into a broader way. So it's almost hard to describe this mix and balance, but it's like informed by my music therapy background, presented through the lens of myself as an artist as well. And it's a performing arts space because there's a Culminating showcase. I've done it as a summer program the last three years, virtually during the um, 2020 time and then in person since then, different places around the community. And I've seen it be a nurturing space for, uh, I focused on Black teen girls, not only from my lived experience, but uh, looking at the research that was out there around this concept of adultification bias, where Black girls in particular in their school settings are treated uh, more harshly or not with as much love and care. Um, you know, somebody, there was a story that I had read as part of the research, threw a ball in gym. And when it was a black student that happened that happened to and she threw the ball and it hit somebody, there there were charges, you know, where we're gonna bring you up on charges for an accident when you're playing in gym versus the research from uh, the, the non-POC or the white counterparts, you throw a ball in gym, oh, it was an honest mistake and, and no one's calling authorities. So understanding the the disproportionate things because of the systems that exist that are oppressive, sexist, racist, a lot of the isms, I really felt compelled to say, while it's a broader concept, how do I begin as one person and and all the folks that have have lovingly helped me to create something that's gonna specifically support in terms of equity where there is a greater need to provide those supports at the onset. And I know I've said a lot, so I'll kind of pause there. And if I if I need to re-answer a specific part of the question, feel free. But I'm deeply passionate no. about the work that I do and can obviously talk about it.
1: <laughs> you said a lot, but it was also fantastic. And it's really interesting when you talk about, you know, what you what those girls specifically face, because this is research I've also read, mm-hmm. not just black teen girls, but the systemic racism issue. And it's interesting because I have I have some Uh, white friends in my life who it's very hard for them to understand this because they themselves do not necessarily identify as racist. And it's, it's so complex. You know, my, my husband is African-American. I've got friends of color who I have learned from and through how this systemic trauma is, Existing, continuing, and is deeply affecting, um, deeply affecting people of color. So, it's something I have a lot of compassion and, and and time for. That I've learned more about. That I notice for some people, it can be very triggering. You know, the, this idea. Well, all teenage girls have a have a hard time, and so. I don't know just there's there's something I just recently I saw another person not quite understanding the importance of this because they don't really understand what's going on and so their first response rather than going oh maybe I sh- maybe this is something I don't understand is to push back or to fight and of course that in itself is part of the problem so Firstly, I love that you are working specifically in that arena and that you brought all of that up. Secondly, wow to your documentary, somehow I did not see that in your ecosystem. So this documentary sounds amazing. What is it called?
0: Yes, uh, it's called For They Endured. And the concept Mm -hmm. behind that is those women as a representative of sort of a, a, a larger symbolism endured certain things to help pave the way for music therapists like myself to come about, yet there's still challenges that mean I'm also enduring. So they're just different things. For example, um, one of the elders as well mentioned that, I believe she's in her 80s now, mentioned that when she was applying for jobs after she became, at that point in time, they call it registered music therapist. Uh, she She had to like mail in a resume and a cover letter and had to indicate at that time that she was uh, the terminology in that time she shared was a a Negro so that they wouldn't hire her not knowing. And then she would move or make her way out there and then not have the job because she wasn't a white person. Like, literally. Yeah. Um, I've, I've come into spaces where I've walked into the room and I was there for music therapy purposes and someone decides to bring up, well, I know you're black, but I've never heard anything go well after that statement. Out of somebody's no. mouth." <laughs> no. Been encouraging, and it was uh, the the time, the point in time uh, with Colin Kaepernick and and taking a knee, and mm-hmm. this person decided to share. Well, patriotism, and they don't mm-hmm. believe in that, and you know, yeah. I just understood yeah. that that it put me in a rock and a hard place because here I am in a place of business on the clock at work, and and my 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 race, the social construct of it, has been put at the forefront. Of uh, of my interaction with this person when I'm there to be of therapeutic value, and I get triggered <laughs> when I'm supposed to be there to be of support. And I remember, you know, effectively biting my tongue at that point in time, but just sort of remembering the bigger picture. But what about a world where where there's not even a, a cause or a reason for me to bite my tongue? And and that was years ago. So. <laughs> I've lived and learned since, and and, and grown in, in assertion and inquiry and and, and everything like that. Um, but that's part of the heart of why I I I have done what I've done thus far with musically me unlimited, of just how do I empower and equip and and train up and support folks that, quite frankly, are likely to be subject to something in some way, shape, or form. I had a 16 year old tell me um, that in playing volleyball a time. I think, I, I don't know exactly who it was. I don't recall anymore, but someone from the opposing side or, or a parent from the opposing side or something called her the N-word. We're in mm-hmm. 2023 now. This was just a few years ago, mm-hmm. but like we're in the 2020 something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So okay. I, I'm not even sure exactly where I'm going with that comment, but, but there's a dreamer in me and, and, and an idealist in me as well as a realist in me that understands, well, as I learn more about the landscape and systems and systems of of oppression and even language to go from saying minority to minoritized. So I was reading something recently that talked about uh, why don't we say now folks who have been systematically under-resourced, systematically marginalized because it speaks to those, which we don't have time to go into detail of, those larger systems in play that can be too invisible to people that aren't impacted by them. And that sounds like a possibility in terms of you mentioning someone that kind of had pushback or didn't really get it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we're not impacted by something, it can be hard to see that it exists, but that's where as a person, I try to believe um, in lived experience where research is great and necessary and everything like that. There's also these elements of, of research that are just as valid in lived experience and the power of believing one another when we share, whether or not the latest you know, thing uh, corroborates that, like how do we show love and, and humanity?
1: It's so interesting because it was just a week ago, I, I can't remember what I was looking at, it was something on somebody's page and they were talking about race, race issues and one commenter, and this is the spiritual community, uh had said um something along the lines of holding on to victimization isn't going to get you anywhere and that's a very spiritual bypass attack you mm-hmm. know the, the, that's the spiritual bypassing of where people believe they know better spiritually as to how someone else should be living so rather than having compassion or empathy and going ah oh, Either I am perceiving or projecting victimization is coming out of this person, or they are in a stage of victimization, which we all go through when we're traumatized. You know, if you've ever worked with anyone who has had trauma in their life, or you've had it yourself, you've had traumatic experiences, there is a moment, or there can be months, or years, or decades where we where we are re-experiencing ourselves as as the victim of that impact. And that is one of the characteristics that you, or stages that you go through in healing. So it's very interesting to me to see how the spiritual community like to weaponize, uh, to weaponize that too, and, and, and the language they will use around it. But it's the same kind of thing. And I think on a broader level, we can just open this out. And for me, I think we live on a very traumatized planet uh, and there is so much woven into our systems that oppress so many groups and so many different people for, at different levels that it's, it's such a it's so interesting to me when people will get mad or angry about one of our groups on the planet who is putting out a call for healing or who is exploring that call for healing in a vocal way. And if we're going to push back and attack on a group that we can't empathize with or we don't understand, we're never going to heal. We're never going to heal as individuals and we're never going to heal as a planet. And of course, in our generation, we will all just do what we can. And we don't know what will happen at the, at the end of our lives on a planetary level. But I find it so interesting to just observe that uh, righteousness and anger and pushback that happens for people who just simply can't empathize or or see it as a threat to their own mm. life or their own well-being or their own well no one's looking out for me so why should I be uh, it, it's such a it's such a complicated um, issue but but yeah thank you for thank you for for having this conversation with me about it because I continue to watch how, how complex it is and how set in our ways we are mm.
0: around
1: the system. And, and you know, the whole point for me and for you and for people who probably are tuning in on a show like this is we want to see the system evolve and become more equitable and become more fair in whatever area the work is being done with with whichever group of people or whichever race or whichever gender or, you know, at the end of the day, it's anyway, it's a <laughs> it's a yeah. whole it's a whole topic by itself. But uh
0: there sure is. And I yeah. think that's where like from a, a musical standpoint or even as a person, I'm very much about like community, unity, liberation, and joy, because it can be a challenge to feel like I'm charged up right now, you know, <laughs> but it can be um a challenge to live in that space of reality. So sometimes joy is the, the easiest thing to 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 source. Um, sometimes joy is is a is a dream space. Um, but I I'm a pretty joyful person. I love to smile. Some people call me smiley. Uh, so I'm like, how can I how can I usher more of that in while understanding? that there are there the realities there there are many more things and other things that are, that are in play, but a lot of, you know, the stars in the sky remind me of why I live, I love, and I dream, or don't take for granted all the colors of your beautiful life. Like that, all the colors means the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, the, the whole, that's another song of mine called beautiful life. The whole thing, like, how can we express gratitude? How can we, tread on the silver lining or how can we be in that dream space to to bring in that further into reality if that's not our current reality or how can we embody that and and really walk in that and i find that even in in the space that i'm in both personally and professionally it is examining and exploring all of those things i i never anticipated that what I was doing, you know, traditional music therapy and clinical spaces, school settings, social service space, all that, and and sort of also doing music. I never anticipated a shift in what I would be doing, how, how it needed to live, and even a shift in like examining what's the most joy-giving thing for me at this mm-hmm. point in time. And as that has evolved, Letting go of some of the traditional things, and for me, moving and ushering more into what for me is is reality, but also a dream space of how do I further explore myself as artist? Because someone asked me to introduce myself. I was in a program to introduce myself the other day, and they had up on the board like your name, organization, your like you know, your title or your role, and I was like. That's really hard to answer because I, I do a lot of things in a lot of places, but how do I answer it as like the unification of who I am and what I do and the understanding of explaining it as that manifests in different programs and projects and performances rather than, okay, well, I'm a music therapist and I'm an artist and I'm a speaker and I, you know, I can go down the end line in that way. So it's like at this point in time, I find that I identify as an artist at my core. And the way that I, I paint, <laughs> uh, proverbially speaking, is on a, a multitude of canvases with a multitude of palettes. And that's what my work looks like, but it's all art and it's all stemming from, from you know, the same place. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll pause there, but that's a way that I've started to, to think about, like how do I describe, as people ask me, what I do and how, and and not spend forty five seconds listing titles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is it is hard to to know how to describe what you do, I think, or to describe to, to get to a place where you can describe it succinctly, especially when you are a, a multi like you are, which I think honestly, and this is something that's been coming through my intuitive teachings for years is we are multidimensional beings and we have been boxed into these ideas of who we are or these singular roles. And I do feel like where we're going now and who we're becoming, we are supposed to be that multidimensional. But when you and I connected today before we started, before I hit record, you told me that you were beginning to walk back towards your own artistry. And that made me so happy because I shared with you that... um, When I first met you and Live, Love, Dream was a song that I played over and over again after I'd met you and I found, you know, found where I could stream it and everything and play it. I went back to find you a couple of years, a year and a half ago, whenever it was I first reached out about doing this and I couldn't find more music. And I was looking, I was like, oh, where's more music? Because I was very impacted by you as a person once I saw you interviewed and once I investigated the work you were doing in the world, but the very first thing of yours that impacted me was the power of that song and your voice and those lyrics and the timeless universal message that you wove into that song. So by the way, everyone listening, unfortunately, if we play an excerpt of the song, uh, we're likely to have the videos blocked on YouTube because it will be copyrighted. So please go and play live, love dream by Kamika. We'll put links in the show notes. Because um, it's just gorgeous. So, what was there an epiphany moment where you went, "I need to go back to my artistry," or was it slow and did it? You know, is, is it? Because I know you're currently working on preparing the album that you hope to bring out some point within the next twelve to eighteen months. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Ooh we So, what, what was, what was the, the primary question? Ask me that again. Good question.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you've chosen after. After devoting so much of your time and energy with music towards facilitation Mm -hmm. and holding space for others and being a conduit for others to experience music themselves, you've also returned to this voice inside you that's kind of the dream that's saying, no, I'm supposed to craft these sonic paintings and send them out into the world to do their." I like to call songs messages in a bottle. I often Mm -hmm. think songs are prayers. You know, I often say music is magic and songs are prayers. And and so, yeah, what 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 was the moment or series of moments that made you go, I need to walk back towards being a music creator in my laboratory?
0: I want to say it was a slow progression of just kind of things changing. And I'll be super frank in terms of fulfillment, the things that I was doing that used to bring me tantamount joy and this was all during the pandemic as well. So there were so many added layers to it were changing and things that were very easy were becoming increasingly more challenging. And then when when something gets to the point where you're you're willing yourself to do it or you just don't have enough time, that's really where I got because I was balancing my business of, of doing contract music therapy work out in the community. Um, at that time I, I and I still am, um, became a couple years prior to that, a community artist, um, with the Office of Arts and Culture. I'm based in Dallas. Um, during that time, I also, so I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. I started my business, uh, King Creative Arts Expressions back in like, 2014 and the idea was um I'm going to do half music therapy and half music performance. Uh the awesome blessing uh was I got a lot of work really quickly, but it was mostly music therapy. So I was doing like 80% music therapy stuff, maybe 20% music. And then I came to the time where I said, "Well, how do I actually I'm feeling called to 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 balance that out a little bit more? How do I do that?" So by 2018, I had successfully got placed onto the community artist list for the city. Uh, by 2020, I had was in the Music to Life um, artist accelerator program, starting to go from idea to program with Musically Me Unlimited. In that time as well, I got on our state touring roster artist list as well. Uh, where I can do anything from music-based workshops to live performance to uh, to music therapy things as well um, out into the community on a statewide level around a lot of what I happen to get into happens to be around equity and access, whether rural communities, marginalized communities, the whole gamut. So I, as I started to attempt to like balance out to get to the 50-50, <laughs> it then became too many things on the plate. I was also uh, serving like on a national level with Music Therapy Association, several things. Um, I had done um, a, a civic program here in the city as an artist. Like It was just too many things on the plate and I could literally continue to go on. I was doing, I was doing, I am doing. And then the first virtual Music Me Unlimited happened at that same time I got um, an opportunity uh, to become a U.S. cultural ambassador as as an artist and music therapist and everything like that, to share my skill sets and knowledge on a global level with whichever embassy I will be paired with. And I remember slowly I was shifting from mostly music therapy to some music, to then, like, balancing it out, to then by the, I want to say, like, end of 2020, I think I only had one, and the pandemic also cause both musically and music therapy, certain things to like shut down. Some things came back, other things didn't. So there was this natural, now that I'm thinking about it, natural process of things shifting, doors opening in other spaces, the inability to do all the things anymore. Uh, self-care became very necessary, especially during that higher part of trauma during the, yes. the pandemic as well and um also for me having sung since i was really little this idea of the dream for me and understanding that i have not yet fully jumped all in into me and music and my own original artistry i've i've done it i've had you know original shows here and there and and when i perform out i share my stuff as well but there's a different and i don't know if that resonates for you too a different way when you're embodying, at least I find for me, myself as artist at my core and sharing completely myself and my music and my message. It's a different space that puts me really at home on a stage where music and its clinical use is for the point of who you're serving. Mm -hmm. But I think I need music to also be for me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And in that, it's coming back around to the ways that music and creating and creativity and having the bandwidth to create and to share that with the understanding that not only is it something that can support me, but I truly believe that the songs, I mean, some of them are like 15 years old. Others they're brand new. Um, It's for such a time as this. And I want to stop, running from what that looks like in the fullness, because schedule and 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 revenue and all these things can business can look like they're at the forefront and planning and all that. But how do I, for me, in my own development, self-care, my own creative wellness, my own well-being as a person, get back around to the the wellspring source of the creative energy of me embodying and embracing myself as an artist. Oh, it's one in a million. Maybe I am that one in a million. I'm not just going to rest on <laughs> the, the, well, I'm going to spark the one through the work that I do. So mm-hmm. there's the giving side and the doing side. And I'm able to be in that. I bring my whole self to those spaces. But there's also a different potency and a different season that I never anticipated circling around to. Um, that says, hey, we need you as an artist in this time. We need those songs on the hard drive and in the notebook for the people so that when Lee goes the next time to yes. look, the rest of the songs, they're not just on YouTube and all the live performances that you've done, but you have something that can reach to, to Zambia, to Timbuktu, to Mozambique, to Antarctica, wherever people are streaming and listening to music to, to be that that medicine, to be that comfort, to be that empowerment to be that calm or whatever it's supposed to be to the people um so that's another area i'm super passionate about and actively exploring of how do i free up enough time and sustain in a way that can really allow me to activate further because i've done it and i am doing it but juggling is a different space than devoting
1: i love this I, it's, it's so many levels like so number one. As much as I admire you and what you do, and I'm very glad that you exist, Mm -hmm. because when I see what you're doing, the way you're doing it, and the way you have done it, you're one of those people who makes me go, oh good, you know, that there is that feeling, I selfishly want you in my car. I want you in my car when I'm driving to. I'm, I'm all happy to admire you from a distance. Yeah. And I'm going to enjoy listening to your TED Talk on YouTube. And that's one way. But selfishly, I want you in my car. I want you in the garden when I'm out there with some nice music. You know, I have, I have certain artists that I play that, that soothe me, that fill me up. But, um, and that's what Live, Love, Dream was to me. So that was why I was like, hang on, why is this classic song here? Where's the classic album? And it's so interesting to hear you say that some of the songs are 15 years old because when I met you, uh, I had been on an airplane one month before watching a Coldplay music documentary and wondering why I felt envious. Mm. Because trust me, I'm not, I'm under no illusion that I'm like a Coldplay stadium artist. No, 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 no. It wasn't about that. But I witnessed them in music, in the love of music, and bringing music to crowds of people that were transforming. And what I realized was, and I I judged myself a little bit because I thought, Lee, you have been very blessed. Like you have had this very successful work around you for 15 years. How, who are you to complain? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I channeled for myself, which I often do on airplanes. And literally I asked, why am I feeling this envy? Because it didn't feel good, but I knew there was something for me to understand or investigate. And they they literally said, without music, your soul will crumble. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, that got my attention. And so I literally landed off that plane and booked that DIY musician conference. And I was like, I am going to figure out how to bring music back into my world and of course all the voices in my head were saying they don't want you for that they want you for the intuitive stuff they want you for the but i realized it was like well i'm gonna have to carve some space out to trust this impulse and if they don't want it that's fine i know i need to do it and of course lo and behold three and a half years later we've put five recorded albums out and one thing i wanted to share with you is the last album we released in December called Timelines? One of the most resonant songs on that album for the audiences has been a song called Glimmers and Silhouettes that I wrote 19 years ago when I was 27. So you know the the, the timelessness of music and also art having its moment in time that might not be the time you wrote it or the time you were desiring to bring it to an audience. So. I love I, so many parallels with, with your story. You know, can we, can we facilitate and, and give healing gifts to others and with others, which is its own kind of beautiful thing. But there is something about what is the inner thread in me that wants to concoct and create something that perhaps looks a little different in form to that work, but can create the same effect. So, um, yeah, I love, I love it. I love, and I love knowing that you have an album coming selfishly. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm going to hold your feet to the fire and I'm going to email you at the end of the year and I'm going to be, Kamika, how, how many more months when are I, I know that you, I know that you said you, you're really committed to trying to get at least another single out in the year of 2023. So Absolutely. Yeah. For everybody who wants to hear more of your music, I would suggest going to kamikaking.com now and listening to what's there already, but also getting on your newsletter or following you on Instagram. I know your Instagram is really where you're sharing the most at the moment because um, I, for one, will be waiting for, mm-hmm. for the new music. So, Kamika, thank you so much. This, is just, this has been the pleasure I knew it would be. And like I said, um, you are one of the people out there who just makes me happy to know that there is a a human like you out there being the way you are being and doing what you are doing. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, The journey is not necessarily an easy one, but it's a necessary one that also comes with a lot of beauty in it. So Thank you for the space to share. Thank you for drilling in uh, that I I need to get this album going (laughs) pronto. I I received all 17 times you said it. uh, (laughs) uh, Let's make a deal here that when it is, I'll be back on the show. How's that?
1: That would be amazing. Yes, please. I would love that. And um, yeah, good luck to you with everything this year. You know, life is odd. It's a strange thing. Stephen and I, my husband, we say that to each other all the time. Life is weird and it's complicated, even when there are things you can be grateful for and have blessings around. It's also a complicated ride. So thank God for music as one of the things that has, you know, been a guiding light in my life and continues to be. So I love that Nisha quote, without music, life would be a mistake. Mm. So Kamika, I invite more of yours onto the earth plane that we can all hear in all of the countries And um, I salute you and thank you for being here. And to everyone who tuned in, you can find Kamika at kamikaking.com. And as ever, we will put links to all of Kamika's work in the show notes. Thank you, Kamika. Deep bow.
0: Thanks for having me, Lee. Appreciate it.
1: Hello, I'm Lee Harris. And for the past several years, I've been running a course called Empaths and Narcissists, a power dynamic and how to recover from it. It's a video course designed to support you to recover from any kind of relationship where you've given your power away. The course has now helped thousands of people over the years to clarify their situation, change direction, rebuild themselves, and regain their power, confidence, and their true identity. It's interesting because narcissistic abuse has become a big topic. last several years and i think it's very easy for any of us to just point the finger and label people as narcissists but the truth is it's more complex than that and this dynamic is going round so at any particular moment we can each have narcissistic tendencies or behave empathically i created this course because time and time again i was meeting and working with so many people who had found themselves entangled in this kind of unhealthy dynamic. They didn't know what had happened to them or how to recover from it, but they also didn't know what to look for and rebuild in themselves to avoid walking back into something like this in the future. I had my own experiences around this dynamic in my own personal life too. So the course is born of personal experience, but also my experience of working one-on-one with clients and groups around the world for over a decade where this topic would repeatedly reveal itself. So for 2023, we are launching the course again this March. Enrollment will be open for one month only so that my team and I can support you as you move through the process. It's all delivered via videos, audio, and worksheets that can help you with the integration and the learning. You can go at your own pace and revisit any of the material at any time because you'll have lifetime access. I'll do a live Q&A broadcast so that you can submit your questions and I'll answer as many as I can. We also have several bonus interviews with people who have particular experience and expertise around this topic. The course has been called the most powerful healing course that I offer. And we've had consistently wonderful feedback from previous students who have attested that the course has improved their relationships, their understanding, their self-esteem, and their sense of who they are in the world. So as someone who needed to refine that in myself at a couple of points in my life, I'm really happy to be able to be offering this course again. And if you have found yourself in a difficult relationship, the results from the course can be profound. When you figure out how you got yourself into giving your power away in the first place and to recover from the fact that you did, you can help yourself avoid ever doing it again in the future. So I hope you'll join us for Empaths and Narcissists 2023. If it feels resonant to you, you can click the link below to find out more details about the full course And whether you're joining us or not, I wish you love and luck with your recovery journey.